Hey everybody, on this episode of Out of Time, we're going to be talking about the force, the fog, and falling. <laughs> All of it's you should know. Combo. <laughs> thank you. The three Fs. All of you should know by now, I'm Sean Farrell. With me, of course, is my brother Matt. And the reason you all are seeing this is because you are cadets. You are direct supporters of the Trek podcast, Trek in Time. And as a result you. of your thank very generous support, yes. thank you so much to all of you. As a result of your support, you get the separate podcast out of time directly into your feed, whether you asked for it or not. And if you don't want it, please don't tell us. It'll break our hearts. <laughs> So as you also should know, this is, while it's a spinoff of the Trek podcast, it is not focused entirely on Trek. We might, in fact, talk about Trek or we might not. And this is one where I don't know that we will, because what we're going to be starting off with, Matt, you wanted to talk about Disney's Obi-Wan. Yes, I did. Yes, it's it, obviously, do we want to get into this right now or do we want to talk about some other stuff first? Uh, why don't we jump into that right now? And why, okay. why don't we start off by me clarifying for you? I believe you've probably watched all available episodes. Yes, I've seen all of them. Okay. And I, I don't think we should be talking spoilers to this. Yeah, okay. We, we should keep okay. this high level. So I was going to say to you where I am is right at a point post post an escape. So, okay. So I'm a few episodes behind you. So okay. just to give you a sense of where I am, but. Why don't you start us off with your your thoughts on the show? Well, the first thing is like I've been on pins and needles waiting for the show. I've been so excited for it. I, I love I'm blanking on his name. He plays Obi-Wan. Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. <laughs> I love his performance of, of Obi-Wan in the prequels, even though I'm not a huge fan of the prequels. Yeah, they have a lot of problems. But his portrayal of Obi-Wan, I thought was so good. And it was very exciting to see him back in that role. And this is yeah. also a period like you know, you and I grew up on the original uh, Star Wars, you know, yeah. uh, those are the best. And for me, it's my first Obi movie going experience that I remember. Me too. It's my favorite. I remember sitting on mom's lap. I don't remember the movie. I just remember glimpses. There's memories of me sitting on mom's lap and the Star Destroyer flying overhead, that kind of stuff. It's like I have memories of that sitting in the theater. Obi-Wan was obviously a very important role in that film. And he's got, a, I've got a soft spot for him. And it was, I've always been fascinated with this dude just basically lived in the desert, just kind of keeping tabs on Luke for decades, like a couple decades. What was that like? And yeah. we're seeing, wow, it was not good. Uh, it was not a happy time. No, yeah. Obi-Wan's in a very dark place. So I, I've been very excited for this to see what, 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 how it's going to flesh things out. And even knowing where Obi-Wan came from and where he ends up, there's still so much of a mystery box to this period of time. Yeah. And the characters around him and the events that are happening. I got to say, I'm loving this show. This show is ticking every box I could possibly have wanted. Mm -hmm. And seeing the character development of Obi-Wan and the struggle he's going through is just incredible. And this is really giving him a chance to kind of flex his acting muscles. Like Hugh McGregor must have loved this role for this specific show. And to talk about, the, the actors in general, one of the things that's impressing me most is I don't want to give anything away, but it does involve, of course, the kids that mm -hmm. are now kids, Luke and Leia, um, are in the story and they're played by child actors that are what, probably eight, 10 years old. Um, yeah. Eight or nine. Yeah. The girl who's playing Leia 
deserves all the accolades and awards you could possibly give her. And yeah. the writing that they've done for her, it's so uncanny. <laughs> it's uncanny. It's, they it's have this little girl saying Fisher. things and you can hear Carrie Fisher's voice. It's remarkable. Yeah. But the, the whole attitude of Princess Leia of that she is can take care of herself and she doesn't take guff from anybody and she says it like it is. That yeah. is this girl. Like the stuff yeah. she says to everybody around her is just so spot on and her acting is so good. And this story is incredibly compelling. I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm all in and loving where this is going. What's your feeling in general about it? The show? I, I completely agree with everything you just said. And for me, some of the stuff they're toying with, you know, when you first meet Luke in episode four, you see him as he's described as, well, I'm a pretty good pilot. Like he, he has, he has things about himself that he knows put him in a place that's a little bit beyond like his cohorts, his friends, he's a better pilot. He's a good shot. All those little things that line up with what a Jedi's physicality would be. I feel like they're teasing out that for Leia, it's the mental aspects. It's the emotional and mental sensitivities that are on display with this young girl mm -hmm. where it doesn't take a lot for her to look at somebody and know their intentions to get a sense of their, the things that they're trying to hide and protect. She sees through, there's a brilliant scene with her dealing with a bully by basically stripping the bully down emotionally. Yeah. Publicly saying like, you do all of this because you're concerned about this, this, and this, but in reality, this is the truth. And he's left standing there crying because yeah. she's just exposed every weakness and she does it again, as you pointed out with that Carrie Fisher voice, the writing of this is so strong that she comes across like a nine-year-old Senator. She sits there as a little girl, but looks at the adults in the room and says things to them about, you have been trying to hide this from me. You don't actually think much of me, but I can see through to your true intentions. And I love that what they're teasing out is Luke's manifestations may have been more physical, that he may have been more of the, I can jump in with both feet and not worry about where I land because I know I'm going to be able to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't think through completely where he might end up. Whereas Leia with the mental and the emotional aspects in the forefront for her have made her brazen and brave and she doesn't hold back. And so they, they depict that with her, you know, she's always escaping the palace. She's always going out as a, as a, as a little kid, she's always going out and doing her own thing. And she doesn't care a lot for the trappings. And mm -hmm. I liked that aspect that in her own way, she's living the same life Luke was living of this is not big enough for me. Where I am is not big enough. I'm bigger than this. Well, the, the other thing that's, it's really striking home for me, this, the way this show is structured is I've always wondered Star Wars opens with that recording from R2-D2 of Princess Leia saying, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're, you're yeah. my only hope. And it's like, Luke's known Obi-Wan as that crazy old coot who lives off in the desert and barely knows him. And here's Princess Leia saying, you're the only person that can help me. How the hell does she even know Ben? Ben's been right. living on Tatooine and kind of as a recluse. And here we are in this show and no spoilers, but we find out exactly why uh, Princess Leia knows who he is and 
all of that. It fills in a part of the story that has always been a question mark in my mind of like, how the hell does yeah. she know who he is on a different planet? Yeah. <laughs> I'm also to go back to the the strength of the writing and the portrayal of these characters. I'm particularly happy for Hayden Christensen yes. to be able to don the Vader yes. outfit, to be able to walk around like the baddest guy on the on the block and to kind of redeem his the penance he had to pay for such a long time of portraying a character that was just ultimately not well written. And it had an impact on the fandom's appreciation of him. And I think giving him an opportunity to, first of all, this is a big suit emotionally and physically. It's a big, heavy thing. So for him to put this thing on, he had to bulk up. He's, he's physically now like strong. So he has to portray now also emotionally, physically strong, this, this character of Vader. And one of the things I appreciate the most about the writing around Vader, and it goes hand in hand with what we just talked about with Leia, the writing is so strong. They've, they've managed to figure out, oh, when we're writing for Vader, we have to write for a long arc, a 60 year arc of an individual. He's a petulant adolescent. He's a dreaming child. He's a disgruntled and self harming adult. When in episode three, when he's finally turning that corner to the dark side, this Vader is one who is just pissed to a point where he's almost nonverbal. But the writing is strong to the point where when this Vader talks, you can almost hear him saying, I hate sand. It gets into everything. Yeah. He sounds like the Anakin, the petulant, angry Anakin. He doesn't sound like the brooding Empire or Return of the Jedi Vader, who is like, look, I know things aren't great, but you and I can work together and we can end this conflict. Like, let's put this behind us. Yeah. It's not that Vader. It's the Vader is just like, you should have killed me when you had a chance. He's going to tear you apart. I'm going to tear you apart. I am yeah. going to do to you what you did to me to, to have that opportunity for that Vader to be on screen is really fun because it's almost like this is a depiction of Vader, like uh, Michael Myers from Halloween. You hear this he's terrifying. Like, he's he terrifying. terrifying. He steps around a corner and it's just, you get that hint of reflection off of his armor and the red saber. And it's, He's the unstoppable force. Everybody is terrified of him and they do a great job. When we first see Vader in episode four, we see him in empire. We see a Vader that clearly the, the Imperial forces are terrified of him. We see yeah. he's barking orders at troopers in episode four and they run into his bidding a Imperial Admiral dares to question him and he nearly murders him in front of a full staff meeting with Moff Tarkin. He in empire is just assassinating his own officers because they do something that he says is basically like you failed me. So I'm done with you. This is it. The period of, of that is seeing him with arguably normals. You're seeing him being oppressive to normals. This story is showing him with his underlings, other force wielders. You see the inquisitors. These are his right hand. 
They are going out into the galaxy and hunting down the Jedi for him. They are killing people for him. They are absolutely demoralizing people on planets who, when they see these guys show up, it's terrifying to them. They're all red saber wielders. They show up and they just, they'll kill people with impunity because we're looking for Jedi. This is our job. They are terrified of okay. Vader. And when we see them interacting with Vader, it is very clear. They are scary in their own right because they can do all the force wielding stuff. They can, they can out Jedi the Jedi. But when it comes to interacting with Vader, their response to him is, I'm not going to cross him. He will, he'll just tear you apart. It's, it's a great series just from the perspective well, of seeing him at the height of his Vader powers, arguably as a, and seeing Obi-Wan at the nadir of his force so, powers. So there's the movie rogue one that actually yeah. was the first place where I think they've shown Darth Vader for the holy crap. You don't want to mess with this guy. He is yeah. terrifying. Um, when he goes through the, there's that sequence of him going through the ship tossing people up down left right ripping yeah. doors open it was like it was like okay this is why everybody's scared of him we never saw this in the original trilogy but this is yeah. why people were scared of him and by the time we see him as an old man he doesn't need to do that crap anymore because everybody's already terrified of him because they know that he does this crap so we're not gonna mess with him this show is doing that 2x and when you said you just finished a sequence of an escape, there's a few of those, Sean. So it's not completely clear right. to me where you went in the story, okay. but there's <laughs> the most recent episode I watched, which is the most recent episode. Um, I think it's episode five. There's stuff in there, not spoilers, with Hayden Christensen. Flashbacks. New stuff that is filmed that was not from the movies of him and Obi-Wan that is really good stuff. And it was like, just like what you were saying, it's like, oh, Oh, this is what happens when Hayden Christensen has good writing. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. He's actually a good actor. And oh, and here is an Anakin that actually is showing the tension between him and Obi-Wan really nicely where the yeah. the, the new prequels did not do this. It, it gives a better hint of him as a scary man. Yeah. And the stuff that he did that they didn't show in the prequels, they show some of it. They also, mm -hmm. there's a sequence like that Rogue One moment in the series where it shows Darth Vader doing very Darth Vader-y things that are on a level Horrible. that's just a, are you kidding me? Just like, holy crap, you don't want to screw with this guy. Um, he yeah. really is terrifying. I think what's great is that we're seeing multiple scary Vaders. Yeah. But we're seeing them, again, to go back to what I said about at different motivations. He's Michael the Myers. Vader, who's on I, I like that analogy. Right now is yeah. one who just wants to set the galaxy on fire. He's just he's pissed. He is this is pissed, this is him pissed, at peak pissed. pissed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in Rogue One, we are seeing the beginning of what I, I have begun to think in my mind as exhausted Vader. Yes. Yes. He is the Vader who is just like this conflict has been going on long enough. I've been fighting this now for twenty years, like trying to shut down the old Republic, the last remnants of the old Republic need to go away. How come this is taking this long? 20 years is long enough. Yeah. And then by the middle of empire, he is full on reaching out to Luke and now is promising like, look, you and I don't have to be adversaries. Like he opens a door compared to this Vader. Who's now on screen with Obi-Wan yeah. empire. Vader is compassionate 
in certain ways. He doesn't kill his own son, which is a great first step. It's yeah. like you, you have that <laughs> moment of like this Vader would have just been like, fuck it. I wish I had a son who I could have kept. And he would have lopped his head off. It yep. would have been like, you've stepped against me and I cannot believe that and kill him. The Vader of Empire is like, I took off your hand because I was trying to stop this fight. Now join me and we can stop the bigger fight. How about it? And then you have that moment in return where it's full blown, like Luke surrenders himself on Endor and the two of them stand there and have almost a very gracious, gracious meeting where Vader is like, I know you had bigger hopes for me, but it's too late for me. I've done too much stuff. I've, mm -hmm. I've, I'm, I, it's too late for me. That sequence, that arc was always there. It just didn't, we hadn't seen this part of the arc and that's what makes it so exciting for me. And yeah. I, I also like, like you to go back to something you'd said at the beginning, I've been chomping at the bit for this. I've been chomping at the bit for the next series of live action shows, which is going to include Ahsoka. It's going yep. like the stuff that is coming, the, the, the bringing back of characters from the series rebels. Yep. I think that some of that is going to be, is going to break open new ways of storytelling within the Star Wars universe that won't be limited to what we've seen in the movies in, in really exciting ways. Having said that, there are some things about this show and like that I wish it had incorporated. And if, you know, anybody is wanting to avoid spoilers, maybe jump forward uh, 60 seconds or so to avoid my wish list. But the main thing I'd always wanted was I wanted to see a character in this series. I wanted to see Hondo Anaka uh, from he was in Clone Wars. He was in Rebels. They teased out in Rebels. He eventually became a part of the the rebel alliance he he was convinced by the rebel movement to start to work actively against the empire instead of just looking out for his own ends and he was always a great comedic foil and i wanted to see that character make an appearance in this series so i keep holding out hope that we'll see him in <laughs> something else like there, there might be a moment where we see him uh when they bring back the rebels characters in future stuff but it's that's it's stuff like that that i was hoping for. I think mm -hmm. the tone of this show being what it is, I'm not surprised if they shy away entirely from incorporating him because this show, while it does have a very star Wars occasional, um, nod toward humor and lightness. It is a show that is definitely dealing with heavier topics around. It's basically about depression. I mean, it's just, yeah, Obi-Wan's not in a good place in the show. Obi-Wan is dealing place. with severe depression to the point where his depression is shutting him off from the force. Yep. He struggles to do the most minor of things. And that's one of the things that I also appreciated is that it's a bridge. We've talked about it being a bridge for Vader's character and all that. This is a bridge to demonstrate after the first lightsaber battle between Obi-Wan and Vader, I turned to my son and I said, now you can see why the Obi-Wan who fights Vader on the Death Star, the fighting sequence is not backflips <laughs> and spinning gunk, around. Gunk, this is gunk. an Obi-Wan <laughs> in this moment who's basically like, I'm holding this weapon as if yeah. I've never held it before. Yes. He's physically, he's mentally demoralized and he's physically demoralized. He just, he doesn't see a way past the, 
the dark era that he's found himself in. And I think that that's tremendous writing and, and just um, filmmaking, you know, as far as like what the decisions were made, I've just been top to bottom. Very impressed. Yeah. So I think that it's pretty clear. We both hate that show. It's horrible. Don't watch um, it. Yeah. Discontinue Disney plus. Uh, I don't mean just like cancels your subscription. I mean, like, let's just end the channel. No, I'm joking. <laughs> the force is strong with this show. Yes. And uh, definitely, definitely check it out. If you are a Star Wars fan. I also wanted to weigh in briefly on a film retrospective that I am doing with my partner. She and I will <clears throat> basically to give ourselves a little bit of, you know, at the end of the week, you're exhausted and you know you want to sit down and watch a TV show or a movie and it comes to the point of, well, what do you want to watch? 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 I don't know. Well, I don't know either. And you spend 45 minutes scrolling through Netflix and realizing that you both hate watching anything. Yeah. We figured out a way to alleviate that, which is we pick a director and then we just do a self-curated retrospective of that director's work. And we've done it with a number of different directors over the past year and a half. And currently we are doing it with the films of John Carpenter. So I love John and Carpenter. he is the first of the directors we've done. We've done like Mike Nichols, Elaine May, like we've done a lot of, of directors where it hasn't been heavily steeped in any genre in particular. There's been mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, dramas and comedies, but nothing that's been clearly, okay, this is a genre filmmaker. So John Carpenter is obviously a genre filmmaker. And at this point we have worked our way through the first of his movies. We've gone through dark star assault on precinct 13 mm -hmm. Halloween. And now the fog, uh, there was also a made for TV movie called someone's watching me, which was very interesting. And I wanted to mention that one in particular. It is, it was a made for TV movie that basically allowed him to experiment with filmmaking techniques that he then used in Halloween. Mm -hmm. So you're watching the story and it is unlike Halloween. It is a straight up thriller about a woman who gets a new job, a new apartment. She's moved to a new city and a stalker takes a liking to her. And it is a man who lives in an apartment building across from her apartment building. And he is responsible for having basically through stalker techniques of leaving notes and making phone calls. He's already forced other women to commit suicide. So mm -hmm. this is his, this is the game he plays and he has chosen this new, this new woman. And it is a very compelling gripping, almost Hitchcockian thriller. Mm -hmm. It is worth checking out and it is available on DVD. If you uh, subscribe to Netflix or you have the ability to get DVDs elsewhere, it's worth checking out. It was, it was a good watch, but most recently we watched the fog and we had the opportunity to see it in a movie theater, which oh, wow. That's Alamo awesome. draft house. Yeah. Alamo draft house has a ironically completely unrelated from our desire to do John Carpenter this summer. They're having a John Carpenter film retrospective. So perfect. You're going to be able to see a lot of these in the theater. Then. We are going to have, yeah, we're going to take, uh, oh, try and take Sean. advantage of that and get the opportunity to see some movies like the um, thing, the thing, the thing is one of them. Uh, Starman, 
Big Trouble in Little China would be a Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York. These are all films that are going to be on this list and possibly are going to be able to be spotted in the theater. So I'm really excited about that. We most recently saw The Fog, which is a movie. I remember being on Channel 11 from New York City in the afternoons, on Sunday afternoons when we were kids. Yep. And it's a movie that was at that point a little too much for me. I was yeah. an impressionable young man. <laughs> yes, he was. I was prone to seeing <laughs> a hook held up in the air and then would have nightmares for a week. Yep. So just the hook being held in the air, not even doing anything, just somebody saying, hey, did you see this hook? And I'd be like, a hook. And that would be too much. So seeing this movie in a theater was terrific for multiple reasons, including, yeah, this is a piece of my childhood that I do have memories of it being spooky and scary, never having a sense of having seen it all the way through, not having a real strong sense of what the conclusion to the film was. I was always aware of the scare of it, but not what is the story of it mm -hmm. and getting a chance to see it and walked out of the theater. Absolutely amazed at it is the perfect Stephen King story that Stephen King had nothing to do with. <laughs> it is it is a story that when you look at some Stephen King movies and you look at some Stephen King books, you're left with the impression, wow, there was way too much. Mm -hmm. There's just there's just so much that there's this all this extraneous stuff that how do you pare that down from a book into a movie? How do you how do you wh where do you know how to cut? And sometimes even reading King, whom I love, he's a great storyteller. There are just moments of where am I in the story? Like you get wandering into a little subplot and you're following this character through this subplot and you're like, wait, what's the main plot of the book? Like, how do I find my way back? The fog doesn't do any of that. It is a straight up, just extremely well-told ghost story. The type that is told around a campfire. And it even starts that way with a story being told around a campfire. So the mm -hmm. model is given right at the beginning and then it follows that model itself beautifully. And it having all those classic, you know, Yahar, I remember the ship. Like that idea is just on full display. And it it does everything so simply, so straightforward. And the scares come so naturally that when you have like today, if they made a movie in which there's a body in the morgue and there's a woman with her back turned, it would be full of CGI and special effects that would do all these things that would just be like layer after layer after layer to make it really scary. This movie had a scene like that, which was so much worse than anything you could do with mm -hmm. CGI's because it's simply the woman's back is turned and the body is covered with a sheet and the body sits up so that yeah. the figure on the table has a sheet over it. And then that figure climbs off the table and you never see the gruesome face. You never see the decaying hand. You just see the you movement need to. toward the figure. And I was sitting there as a 50 year old man in this theater thinking I'm actually very scared right now. So, <laughs> It hit all of those. It hit all of those notes. And what I'm seeing at this point, the movies we've watched span the years 1974 with Dark Star to 1980, The Fog. So six years in six years, it's there was also a movie that he made about Elvis, which is no longer available anywhere. 
it is, there's not a print of it available. It's not available on DVD. It's not streaming. You can see scenes of it uh, via YouTube. It's one of those movies that some people have chopped up into. You can watch the entire movie. It's in 20 parts and you watch 20 YouTube videos to get the whole movie. I wasn't going to consume this movie in that way, but it stars Kurt Russell. So I think that is the first time that he's worked with Kurt Russell. And what is amazing is Dark Star is sci-fi comedy. Assault on Precinct 13 is just straight up like there's very little plot. It is a straight up action movie. Just action. Just with the intention being like, can these people stay alive? Halloween and someone's watching me are basically someone's watching me is where he invents film techniques that he then used to invent the slasher horror. And then in the fog, just a straight up ghost story, which incorporates some of those slasher elements. It is not a slasher film, but it is, it has some of those scares in it and what that's the monsters do. He can do anything. It's, it's remarkable. He's able to do everything. So, and he he's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. And in the eighties, you know, I'm like a 1984, I was a 10 year old kid. His movies. When I look back at what my favorite movies are, he tops the list surprisingly. And to me, he's one of the most underrated directors because he reinvented different genres and created a whole industry. In his later years, he kind of became a little bit of a parody of himself when you get mm. to his later stuff. But like you're about to hit prime. Yeah. <laughs> you're about to hit prime Carpenter. I mean, you're talking about the thing, Escape from New York, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble in Little China. Um, they live, even though they live is just <laughs> They Live is so just a great hokey. B movie. It's an it's intentional so B movie. Yeah. But he is he is such an artful director and really reshaped a lot of a lot of filmmaking we see today. You can yeah. draw a straight line back to him. And yeah. It's it's a really it's if you seeing haven't watched the John Carpenter, go back and watch it. It's, yeah, seeing so the good. imprint of this this stunned my partner when I told her this. I'm sure you'll be shocked. Until I saw Halloween when we just watched it a few weeks ago, I'd never seen Halloween. Wait, what? Yeah, that was the exact response she gave me. Oh my god, uh, I've seen yeah, that so this many times. A, this was a movie I had just never seen. It was so in the zeitgeist. Yeah, that at a certain point I didn't need to see it. Yeah. It was just like, oh, you, you know, like, oh, yeah, Michael Myers, like all of that. And I saw the newest Halloween that yeah. not the one that was just not the one that was on TV streaming recently, but the 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 one that re- that one's actually pretty good. That one's actually pretty it good. actually was. I saw it in the yeah. theater. I'd never seen a Halloween film and I went and saw that in the theaters and I walked out and I felt like this is what it would have felt like to see Terminator 2 without having seen Terminator. I walked out of the theater like great movie hit all the buttons that it needed to hit, checked all the boxes for me that I wanted. And I didn't know the original story, but I didn't need to because this was a strong enough movie to tell that story on its own. But having now seen Halloween, as I was watching it, I was just like a double feature of Halloween with Hitchcock's frenzy would be a tremendous double bill yeah. because Hitchcock's film frenzy he is arguably also inventing the slasher film. Yes, he is. And the two movies are almost in discussion with each other of what do you need in a slasher film? Hitchcock was still taking the approach of, well, you need to know a little bit about the killer. Mm -hmm. And Carpenter's rebuttal is largely, no, you don't (laughs) need anything deeper about the killer. Sometimes the killer is just the killer. 
and in frenzy and in Halloween, there are certain sequences which are shot similarly. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the first person perspective of the killer, the looking through windows, the coming at the victim, seeing the victim's response, filling the screen. Some of these things are, are done in, in both films in remarkable ways. And then in watching the fog, I felt like there were moments and one of the actresses in the fog Mm -hmm. was a Hitchcock actress. It's wasn't she. The cast of The Fog included Jamie Lee Curtis, but it also included Janet Lee. Janet Lee, yep. And Janet Lee had been in, wasn't she in a Hitchcock? She yeah. was in Psycho. She was at the Psycho. start of the Psycho. That's right. There was a moment, there were several moments, but there was a moment in The Fog where characters are setting up for a town festival. And you're following the cameras following them as they're driving in the car, they park, they get out of the car, they then turn and they walk toward where the festival is going to be held. And it is a kind of longer sequence of just two characters talking about something that has neither of them is saying like, I think there's people dying. It's just, what are we going to set up? Where are the banners? When is the band going to get here? The mayor needs to be on hand. Where's the priest? Like they're having this kind of conversation and the entire sequence. I'm like, this is Hitchcock. This is like, this is all Hitchcockian the way it's all following these two. You're, you're revealing so much about the characters and their interactions with each other and the town, all of it is being revealed without it feeling like exposition, right? It's all being done in interesting framing from the camera and the camera is presenting you. It's almost like in, uh, the birds. It's almost like Jaws. It's like you can see that he is part of that filmmaking style where it's just the mastery is you forget that it's a camera. You yes. forget that you are not actually there with these two people as a silent partner just watching life. And yep. that's that's remarkable. So I'm gaining a new appreciation for uh, Carpenter's work. I love his stuff. And to kind of segue on that, the one thing I want to kind of bring up on my side was uh, it kind of ties directly into John Carpenter with Starman. That was a movie that was on, I remember being on HBO. It felt like every day and I watched yeah. it almost every day for like, it felt like two years. That's the that movie, movie that instead of watching it, I'm planning on just reenacting it in our living room. <laughs> yes. Get the little silver balls out. Yeah. Um, yeah. It stars Jeff Bridges and he's about an alien that basically gets stranded on earth and, you know, a little bit of a love story that spawns from that. There's, a movie that came out, what was it? It came out almost 10 years earlier. It was The Man Who Fell to Earth starring David Bowie. And it's based on a book, yeah. I believe, uh, by Walter Tevis. I've never read the book. I've only seen the movie once. It didn't leave a big imprint on me as far as memory. Starman did. But they're basically the same storyline, the same basic premise. Um, there's a new TV show on, I believe it's Showtime, mm -hmm. the, man to the Man Who Fell to Earth. And it is a direct continuation of the David Bowie movie. And I've been watching it. It's incredible. It is incredible. It stars Ezio Four and mm -hmm. Naomi Harris. And then Bill Nighy is in the movie. I mean, mm -hmm. the show, and he's playing <laughs> the David Bowie character <laughs> mm. as an old man. Perfect casting, if you ask me. The show is incredible. Basically, it's about another alien that were from the same exact planet as David Bowie lands on the earth and just like Starman, 
he doesn't know the proper way to interact with people and he's just right. kind of fumbling his way through of learning how to speak learning how to talk to people and he has no filter and will just say whatever's on his mind and like it's very there's a charming aspect to it and a terrifying almost horror story element to it and the way the whole story is unfolding is taking it into a place where it's like i i don't know how they're going to resolve what they've set up it is a thriller it's a horror thing it's comedy and Ezio 4 is so good he is so yeah. good he needs to be in my opinion in everything ever made he is just so tremendous he carries this show on his shoulders he doesn't have to because everybody else in the show is really good but the writing around it his performance is incredible if you have showtime or access to showtime borrow somebody's password <laughs> we do this show is definitely worth watching and like as somebody who loved the movie Starman, this is just ticking that box just again and again and again every episode is just like oh more please more please more please and it's i don't know if it's going to go beyond a single season and i kind of hope it doesn't yeah as much as i've as much of this as i'd want more I, I actually want them to stop because it feels like if they did go beyond whatever they're doing in this season, they might overstay their welcome. They may run out of new and in interesting things to talk about. And this so far is so pitch perfect on the story arc and the storyline and the way and the things it's grappling with. Um, strongly recommend checking it out. It's really, really good. That is on the list of things I want to check out. And it is on the list of things I will have to check out by doing exactly what we said, which is. I might have to subscribe to yet another channel or borrow somebody's password or just break into somebody's house. We'll find out. <laughs> well, everybody, I uh, hope you've enjoyed our discussion of these three very different programs. Not a whole lot of Obi-Wan and John Carpenter, not a lot of John Carpenter in The Man Who Fell to Earth, although there is that Starman connection, as Matt pointed out. But yep. these three things, I think we strongly recommend all three of them to you. And if any of you have already checked them out and wanted to weigh in, please reach out through our contact information. We'd love to hear what you think about it. And once again, cadets, thank you so much for your support of the main channel. We appreciate it. And we hope you enjoy these side programs that we're going to be sending out as out of time. And if you have anything you want to recommend to us, yeah, again, tell reach us. out through the contact information. Let us know what your recommendations are. We'd love to be able to get a chance to check those out and then give our feedback. So we'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much, everybody.